chapter 2. We're going to get to this in just a little bit. Obviously, you have the outlines in front of you. We're going to talk about women preachers tonight. And, um, you know, this is, uh, this is not a popular thing anymore. Um, you got the Me Too movement going on, and you've got all this other, you know, uh, women demanding equal rights and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that, that the woman you know, not, is not looked at as equal. She's looked at it completely equal before God. Um, but as we're going to talk about tonight, God puts every person in a position and in a, uh, and in a place, uh, a role that they are supposed to fill. Now, all over the world, in fact, there's, there's uh, religious groups are authorizing women to preach in their churches. And there's still a good number of them that don't allow that uh, to happen. Even, even those that we would consider to be false religions don't allow women to be preachers and priests or whatever else you want to call them in, their, in those certain positions. But it's hard to actually find updated numbers of women clergy uh, because there's not really numbers, there's statistics. This percentage of people, of, of women in this uh, organization, this percentage of women. Um, but um, I did find some as far as that goes, but, but statistical numbers are, are on the rise is, um, and rapidly over the last 20 years in particular. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, these things are kind of amazing to me, the way that they work. Um, something for years and years and years was wrong, and then all of a sudden somebody somewhere decides that it's right, and now everybody's doing it, you know? I mean, look, look at this. The same is true with, with um, uh, the Catholic Church when it comes to abortion. I mean, for years they were against abortion. And now all of a sudden, they have a pope that is starting to make exceptions and starting to say that this, it's okay in this situation, it's okay in this situation. And now, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like it's not even wrong anymore. It's not even a stipulation anymore, you know, uh, for them to be Catholics and so on. But uh, let me just give you a couple of these things. I mean, this is just a small little snapshot, but there's almost 10,000 licensed and ordained women in the Assembly of God. Roughly 1,500 ordained women in the Southern Baptist Church. By the way, the Southern Baptist Convention does not approve of women preachers, um, but individual churches within the Southern Baptist Convention have, within their church, ordained women, and, and, and now there's actually many of them that are uh, senior pastors and everything else. Um, the United Methodist Church has over 5,000, Lutheran Church over 1,500. Um, but they say that women now make up close to 10, and, it, and, and the statistics vary so much that it's hard to kind of pin it down, but 10 to 20% of all clergy is women in the world, um, not just in the United States, but in the world. And the Bible clearly states that man is to lead the home and the church, and the woman's role is to submit to the man's headship. And I know that that's not a popular thing, and I know it's, you know, there's been many people that have taken that to the opposite extreme, and, you know... Women are under the thumb of man, and you're, you know, I'm demanding that you do this, you're going to do this, and, and they've taken it to the opposite extreme, and the Bible is very clear on that as well, especially when it comes to the way a man should uh, lead his home and everything else, and they've, they've misconstrued that just like they've misconstrued many other things, but the role of a man and a woman are still the same. Um, there's, there's, well, let's look at what the Bible says, and we're going to look at this again in just a little bit, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 11 let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So, 
there is widespread rebellion against God's plan um, from, from both standpoints, the, woman, the, the man's role as the head and the woman's role in subjection. But, um, and, and you're seeing this everywhere. You know, Men are dressing like women. They're becoming more effeminate. They're, they're taking on this, you know, this female role, and it's like it's a fine thing. I mean, you go downtown certain areas, and it's almost like you look at every single one of them and you wonder which one of them is not gay because of the way they're all dressing. You know, oh, I would never. I'm not gay. I'm not blah, blah, blah. But you're dressing like it because, you know, the culture is to, is to make men more effeminate today. Um, and this is, this is getting into kind of a whole different discussion. But uh, that's what happens when men start to give up that leadership role that God demanded them to take. And the same thing is true with women. A lot of women dressing like men, trying to work the same jobs as men, play sports with the men, um, you know, be in the military with men. They want, they, they're, you know, demanding equal pay and all this kind of stuff. They're demanding a man's place in the home. They're demanding a man's place in the church. They're demanding a man's place in the state and everywhere else. And the church is sadly always affected by society. And uh, many women are demanding positions in the church now too. And what it comes down to is, are we going to believe what the Bible says about these things or not? And that, I mean, that is, that is what every subject is that we're talking about, because some of them are, are, are not popular today. Right. You start preaching against homosexuality, it's not popular today. You start preaching against abortion, and it's not popular today. You start preaching against some of these things that everybody accepts as normal, and it's not popular. But if it's not in the Bible, then we cannot accept it, whether it's popular or not. And I think this is one of those topics, you know. Now, let me be clear right off before we jump into this tonight and say that I don't believe men are more important than women. I don't believe that, that they're, they are better than women. I don't believe that they're smarter than women. Uh, and I certainly don't believe that they're better looking than women. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, and so, so I say all that to say that, that a, woman, a woman's place, because she has a specific role, doesn't make her any less important in a church doesn't make her any less important in a home, doesn't make her any less important to God. But God has given a role for the woman, and God has given a role for the man. And when we try to change those roles, that's when things get messed up. And if you look at our society today, we can say things are really messed up in our society. And one of the reasons why is because we have switched the roles of men and women in the home, in the church, in the state, everywhere else. And it's not something that God can bless because that's not what he ordained for us to do. So uh, God has ordained specific roles for men and women in the home, in the church, and that's what we want to discuss tonight. So let's, let's jump right into this and say, number one, why I am against women preachers. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. So as much as you can, turn with me into these passages. But number one, in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number 12, God condemned Israel for allowing women to rule over them. Oh, that's Old Testament. Well, this is kind of setting the, the, the groundwork for what, what he was going to say in the New Testament because he said most of what he said about this in the New Testament. Let me read to you what Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number 12 says. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Is that the way that it should be? He's pointing out the obvious. The children are not supposed to be oppressors. They're not supposed to be the ones that, that, that rule over you and oppress you. But then he also says, and women rule over them. Oh, my people. They which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. God condemns women, these, these women in Israel, for leading, uh, for, for allowing them to rule over them. Here's the number two, letter B. God commands women to learn in silence and to be in subjection and not to usurp the authority over the man. 
again. And we just read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11 through 14. But let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. I don't know how the Bible can be any more clear than that. And again, it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, the women are not as important as men. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that this is what God said, and this is what we should do. God said the women are supposed to be in subjection when it comes to those things. Let me give you number three then. Let us see. The Bible commands qualifications for pastors to lead. Let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're, you're right there at the end of that chapter. If you, if you move just a few verses into it, you have verse 1 through basically verse 7 that talks about the qualifications of a pastor. And you have chapter 3 verse 8 through 13 that talks about the qualifications for a deacon. Which would even, you know, I mean, deacons are ordained a lot of times into that deacon position. Um, but they were qualifications that were only given for men. We see this one pretty, pretty plainly. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a true saying that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Well, you know, the Bible talks about that. You know, all men are equal before God and blah, blah, blah. And when we say men, we're talking about everybody. So this is talking about everybody. But when you come to just the second verse, the Bible says that he's supposed to be the husband of one wife. It's very hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife. He says that very plainly. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, and all these other things, which obviously women could fit into those categories. But if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing, and he has to be the husband of one wife. That's going to be hard for a woman to fit those qualifications. Um, let me give you another one then, letter D. Women are supposed to be silent in the church. It's hard to preach and keep silent at the same time. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In fact, keep a, keep a bookmark or something there in 1 Timothy, because we're going to be kind of coming back and forth between 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians for, for a little bit here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, Paul is, is talking here about order in the church, essentially, and the way that things are supposed to go. Um, we t in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and all of that, and we, we kind of used that chapter and discussed a lot of those things a couple weeks ago. Chapter 13 is the chapter on love, and then chapter 14, uh, Paul goes into some different things about the way things ought to be run in the church. And then in, later on in the chapter, he starts to talk about uh, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and, and all of these different things and how there ought to be order in the church. But he very plainly comes out in verse number 34 and says this, let your women keep silence in the churches for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for it's a shame for a woman to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that these things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now that elevated the, that to a, a very high status. This is not something that's just Paul's opinion. And Paul did, in a couple places, give his opinion. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, when Paul is talking about um, you know, principles. Yeah, it is, 1 Timothy chapter 7, where Paul is talking about principles of married life and stuff. And he says, eh, this is, you know, this is just kind of my opinion. And, and this is kind of just what I think about. It. I'm not saying that it's a law that you can't marry or whatever else. This is what I think about it. He made it very clear. But then he also makes it very clear in this passage, this is a commandment of the Lord. This is something that he elevated to that status. And then uh, number five, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 14, 
God reminds them of the order in which they fell. Women may be freed from the wages of sin, but not from the curse that was brought about by that sin and Eve's rebellion in the garden. And part of that curse is that she would always be in subjection to the man. We're not going to take the time to go back into Genesis 3 and look at that, but God cursed them for their sin. Adam would have to work by the sweat of his brow. You know, there would be, you know, the ground was going to grow thorns and thistles and all of those things, and that's part of the curse. Part of the curse for Eve was that, number one, she was going to be in subjection to the man, and number two, she was going to have pain in childbearing. And obviously, pain in childbearing never went away, so why does the curse of, you know, uh, being in subjection to the man go away either? And, and again, it's just, that's, that was part of the curse. The snake was going to crawl on his belly and all of those other things. Those were part of it because of the fall. We as men still have to work by the sweat of our brow. None of the other things in the curse went away. So how does all of a sudden the curse of women being in subjection go away? There's no place in the Bible that ever said that that was going to happen or that it did happen. So uh, obviously women, just like men, could be freed from the wages of sin, but we're not free from the curse of sin. And once death passed upon all, I mean, once, you know, death came to Adam and Eve, death passed upon all men, all have sinned and everything else. And so that's, that is part of the curse of sin. Now, Let's look at some of the controversial passages or views. I think this, is, this will help us to kind of explain some of these other things and answer some of these questions. Because, so I, I started going back, and, and boy, you can, there's so much out there, because especially by these women who are preachers, who want to defend their position and want to defend the fact that they're out there preaching, you know. And so I, I came across one article, and I think it was actually written by a Southern Baptist. I, I can't even remember, but... Either way, she said, are we seriously going to visit this issue again of women being in subjection and, and you know, uh, the woman fell first and all of this stuff? I mean, and, and basically just mocking this entire argument, this entire idea. But it's what I'm saying. It's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that. And so here she is mocking people for using this argument when it's the Bible's argument. The Bible said Eve sinned first, and because of that, one of her curses is that she's going to be in subjection to the man. So let's look at some of these controversial passages. I, and, and most of these are not controversial passages. Most of them are views. I just I do every one of them like this because sometimes there are Bible verses that we, oh, how do you explain that? So it just all fits under this category. Most of them are views of other people who say that women should be allowed to preach. Let's look at this, number one. Some say that the command in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 through 37, which we've just looked at, uh, for women to keep silence in the church was meant only for first century Christians or were only for the particular situation at Corinth. Well, Paul was writing the book of Corinthians to the church at Corinth, so it only applied to the church at Corinth or it only applied to those first century Christians. Here's why that cannot be true. Number one, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, let's look at this. Um, Verse 37 says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So, number one, it's a commandment of the Lord and therefore must be obeyed by every Christian and every church. If it was written to the Corinthians, then he says that because in, in several places he does say, oh, Corinthians, you are doing this, you are doing that. But this is a commandment of the Lord, and so that elevates it to the status of not just the Corinthian church or not just the first century Christians, but every Christian everywhere. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, these commands are a test of spirituality. If they're not obeyed, then they're proving themselves to be unspiritual. He says that very plainly. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that. 
these things are commandments of the Lord. So if you're not willing to acknowledge that these are commandments of the Lord, then you're basically acknowledging that you're not spiritual is what he's saying. Here's another reason why that, that, why that cannot be true. The same command was written in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And these commands were said to be written to teach the proper order for the churches in general. If you have your bookmark there in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, first, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's go back there and look at a couple things. We're going to look at a couple passages um, uh, right in line with that. But 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So, and, and obviously in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he's talking about these principles. We already went back and read through those, uh, those principles and some of the things that he talked about. And one of those things is that women are supposed to keep silence in the church. But he's saying, this is the proper order for what's supposed to happen in the church, not just the church at Corinth or just in your church in, in first century Christianity. But he's talking about all of them. This is how the church of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth ought to run and how you ought to behave in the house of God. Well, number four, Paul commanded that his instructions were to be kept until Christ's coming. Well, that's kind of hard for it to be only for first century Christians. It's kind of hard for it to be only for the church of Corinth if it's a command that's supposed to be kept until Christ comes back. And he says that in 1 Timothy chapter 16, that thou, uh, 6, verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hard to be for first century Christians only, or for the church at Corinth only, or for Timothy only, or for whoever only, if he's telling us that, we suppose, that we're supposed to keep this commandment until he comes back. Number five, Paul clearly states that his letter to the Corinthians was not only to the Christians in Corinth, but to all Christians. So, oh, well, he was only talking to the church at Corinth, so that's the only one that applied there. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, how about this, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, or, or Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He makes it very plain that he's not just talking to the church at Corinth. He's talking to all Christians everywhere. So to say that uh, for women to keep silence in the church based on 1 Corinthians chapter 14 was only meant for the first century Christians or only meant for the church at Corinth, it's, it's, not, a, it, it's not an argument that can stand on its own. Here's another one. Didn't God use women to lead in the Old Testament? Amen. Well, there was a couple places that he did. Right. But let's talk about that. First one is Deborah. Turn with me, if you will, back to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Uh, God did have Deborah lead in Israel. You see that with Deborah and Barak. And you, you, you know, maybe you're not as familiar with that story. You might know that they were judges in Israel. But here's a couple things about it. Um, let's look at Judges chapter 4 and verse number 4. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Okay, we have a woman who's a leader, and it sure seems like God is allowing her to lead and putting her in that position, and all the children of Israel came to Deborah for their leadership. But, number one, Barak was clearly the one who should have been in charge. Barak was clearly the one who should have been in charge. Judges chapter 4 and verse number 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Barak was the one that was called to be the leader. 
But he didn't take that leadership role. He turned to the woman and said, well, if you come with me, then I'll go. If, if you don't come with me, I'm not going. So Deborah said, all right, if that's the only way that it's going to get accomplished, then I'll go with you. But notice what she says, letter, uh, letter B. The second point there is that Deborah clearly recognized that it was not right or natural for her to lead. She told Barak it would result in shame upon his name. And we see that in the next verse, verse number nine. She said, I sh will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. Deborah was clearly saying, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. I'll go, but it's not going to bring any honor to your name because God's going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And, he's, and the reason she's saying it that way is clearly because she's saying this is not the way that it's supposed to be. A woman is not supposed to be getting this honor. A woman is not supposed to be leading in this way. And so the root problem, this is the third point there, in Deborah's day was spiritual apostasy. And in times of spiritual apostasy, when things are not right, God uses things to bring shame upon them as he judges them and removes wisdom from their hearts. So yes, Deborah did lead, but this is not the way that God intended. Deborah led because Barak didn't take the leadership position that he was supposed to take. And of course, you're talking about, I mean, the reason there were judges in Israel, you see the cycle happen all the time. They sin. God causes them to go into, into um, captivity. He sends a judge to, to preach to them, and, and uh, you know, they repent, and they come out of that captivity. A couple years later, you see the same cycle happen over and over again. And so they were in a time of spiritual apostasy. They were in a time of rebellion against God. There was not a plethora of men who could have led. And so Deborah said, well, you guys don't deserve to lead. I'm going to take the leadership role. No, Deborah was taking the leadership role because there were no men who were going to do it. And God clearly said that was a shame to the men that a woman had to take that leadership role. Yeah. She was not supposed to, though. Now, here's another one. Weren't the daughters of Philip prophetesses? Doesn't it mean that women can preach to men as they exercise their gifts of prophecy? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 21. And again, this might not be something that you're very familiar with either, but this is in the Bible. And Philip had four daughters. Philip had four daughters who the Bible clearly says were prophetesses. Now, let's look at this. Um, Acts chapter 21, verse number 8. The next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. This is the Philip that we know, the one who led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, the one who uh, did all of these other things which was one of the seven and abode with them. Now, verse number nine. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So here you had four women who were prophetesses. Doesn't that mean that they, as long as they're you know, speaking with a gift of prophecy, then they can get up and exercise those gifts of prophecy? Well, let's look at a couple things here. Number one, the fact that God gave gifts of prophecy to women does not mean that they're free to take the authority in the church. Nowhere does it say that they took the authority in the church to prophesy. It just says that God gave them the ability to prophesy. Um, here's something else that goes right along with that, and this is flipping over to, the, to that back page. Because if you continue on in that passage, verse number 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul goes on. Now, obviously, Paul does end up going to Jerusalem and so on. But uh, it's an interesting thing here that Paul was staying at Philip's house. And even though he had four daughters that prophesied God used a male prophet, Agabus, from another city to come and prophesy to Paul. If God was going to give these four prophetesses the authority to prophesy over men, then why would not God have just used one of those four who were in the house where Paul was staying to give him this prophecy? It's because that was not the proper role. And so God called another prophet, Agabus, a man, to come down and give this prophecy to Paul that he shouldn't go up to Jerusalem. So, um, we tarried there many days. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, and Agabus is the one who gave this prophecy to Paul. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28, because some would try to use Galatians 3, 28 to give them reason to preach. Now, for the sake of space, I didn't want to, I, I left a little uh, spot there open for you to be able to go and kind of fill these things in how you want to, because I think this is a uh, it's a very interesting passage because the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, well, if there's neither male or female, then that, doesn't that mean that any woman that wants to can preach? Because God's not looking at her as being a woman. God's not looking at him as being a man. We're all one before God. So if, if God gives me a message, doesn't that mean I can get up and preach and take the authority in the church and everything else? Well, let me explain it to you this way. If, if two people were to get saved, one black and one white, and they were baptized, when they came up out of the water, they would be one in Christ. But one is still black and one's still white. Amen. If you were to take uh, you know, a, a German and a Frenchman, and they both get saved and they get baptized and they go down into the water and they come up out of that water, they're one in Christ, but one is still German and one is still French. Right. And the same is true when it comes to men and women. If a man gets saved and baptized and a woman gets saved and baptized, they are one in Christ, but one is still a man and one is still a woman. And so when it comes to being one in Christ, yes, God looks at us the same when it comes to salvation. When it comes to faith, yes, God sees my sins as being under the blood. He sees a woman's sins as being under the blood. He sees us as one in Christ, and we can have that fellowship as one in Christ. But one is still a man, and one is still a woman. And one still has the authority, and one does not. Sorry, I know there was a I guess what happened was, uh, yeah, is there, was there a couple with blank backs? I think what happens is they get stuck. They get stuck going through the printer. Uh, okay. They get stuck going through the printer, and I don't notice it until you tell me. So, anyway. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 does not, by any stretch, give a woman a reason or a license to preach. Amen. Yes, we are one in Christ, and that's great because we can have fellowship, and, and, and yes, spiritually, we are the same, but that's not, it's, you know, uh, say it. There's two dimensions here we're dealing with. We're dealing with a spiritual dimension, dealing with the physical. Right, exactly. The physical doesn't right. change. Exactly. The spiritual does. Exactly, and that's, that's exactly what my point is by, you know, uh, two different people getting baptized, saved and baptized. They're one with Christ spiritually, but they're still, they're still different physically. Number four is this. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Why does blessing appear to be on the ministries of some women who preach and teach to men? Be because there are, right? That's an argument. Well, God's sure blessing them. Look at this ministry. It's exploding. They're able to share the gospel, and, you know, people are getting saved and, and maybe genuinely saved. Well, if God's blessing them, then doesn't that mean that God's giving them that uh, uh, okay? Doesn't that mean that God's giving them that authority? Doesn't that mean that God is giving them that blessing? Well, let's look at this. Turn over to 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, and we'll say this, first of all, letter A, God is not bound by his own restrictive principles, that he cannot bless where there's noncompliance. Right? Amen. It's just like, okay, here's a good example. Gilgrove Baptist School has a policy that says that if you don't, if, if your parents are not members of the church or you don't start before the fourth grade, then you can't go to school there. Uh, one of the reasons that's done is to keep it from becoming a reform school. Oh, my kid's in ninth grade. He got kicked out of the public school. We want him to go to a Christian school. Sorry, this is not a reform school. We're not allowing every public school kid that gets kicked out to come in and corrupt all the kids who are, you know, uh, who are there in the school. And so um, if you don't start before the fourth, you, you can start up to the fourth grade because, you know, I, I guess how bad can you be before the fourth grade? Um, or your parents have to be members, Right. Um, but we had a situation where uh, another church closed their school down, and uh, the, the, the parents were obviously not members of the church. They were obviously well past the fourth grade, and we allowed them to come into the school there because that's our own rule. We can break our own rule when we want to break our own rule, but the restrictions are there as a way to keep it uh, from becoming something that we didn't want it to become. I say we. I mean, I, was, I taught there for, for 10 years, and so I kind of still think of it that way, but God's not bound by his own restrictive principles. So God says a woman cannot preach, but God is not bound by his own restrictive principles that he cannot bless where there's noncompliance. But, but the servant that is in noncompliance has to remember this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except, except he strive lawfully. God often blesses the ministry of his word in spite of the error of the minister. And if you think about how many people that you know of that lived their life and were very blessed in ministry, and then it came out that they were doing all this kind of stuff, and how did God bless them during all of that time that they were doing those things? Nobody else knew about it, but it came out later that these things were going on. Many times it's immorality or something like that, but how did God bless them? They were in the middle of all this thing, but look, the ministry was growing and everything else, because often God blesses the ministry of his word in spite of the minister. Um, but in those cases, the minister, man or woman, will only receive personal rewards for the labor if it was done according to the word of God. So can a woman get up and preach and actually see God bless it? Very possibly, because if she's preaching the word of God, the word of God is not going to return void, but she's not doing it lawfully. She's not doing it according to the word of God. So God might bless his word going forth, but that woman that's preaching is not going to see the rewards of everything that she's done because she didn't do it lawfully. She didn't do it the way that God said it should be done. So let's, let's draw some conclusions then, and we'll be finished. Number one, there's no doubt that God gave the gift of prophecy to women. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, promised that God would do this. It says in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 18, And on my servants and on mine handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
He very clearly says that there's going to be women that will be involved in that. Um, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who gives gifts, has placed restrictions on those gifts, just like he's placed restrictions on speaking in tongues or any other gift. So God, I don't want to get too fast here, but number, number two, God richly gifts women in spiritual things, but they're restricted in the use of them. And that's not to say that, that there's not a whole host of women who are a whole lot more spiritual than men. Amen. Amen. Some, of the, some of the godliest people that have ever lived on this earth have been women. And God has used them in great and mighty ways to pray for revivals and to pray that God's hand of blessing would be on this particular church or on that particular ministry or whatever. God has used women in a great and mighty way, and God gives women gifts. But he gives restrictions in the use of those gifts. Amen. And so that's not to say that a woman can't have them, but those, those gifts are restricted. Uh, number three. Just after saying that women should not speak in church meetings, Paul gave this warning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that these things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Number four, the women's ministry is to be focused on women and children. Women's ministry is to be focused on women and children. Let's turn over to Titus chapter 2. I do want you to see this because this is, this is perfectly describing how a woman could be used by God in a tremendous way in a church. Uh, Titus chapter 2, in verse number 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, listen to this, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to, be, to, to love their children, to be discreet, Chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So not only is this something that women can do, it's something that women are required to do, commanded to do. Teach other women. Teach their children. Teach other children. It's not usurping the authority over Jackson for, for Miss Diana to get up in the, Sunday, in the uh, uh, Lighthouse Kids and teach Jackson. Jackson's not a man. She's not usurping any authority over him to get up in, those, in a class and teach like that. Because that's what God's given them to do, is to, is to teach women and to teach children. And, and also note that there were no women apostles. Uh, and the divine standards for pastors only applies to men. So um, if, if it was such a fine thing for women to be in positions of leadership and in positions of authority, don't you think that God would have put one woman at least? On all, the, on all the list of the apostles that we have, don't you think God would have, have had one of his disciples would have been a woman? A woman? Now, he had 12 disciples that he chose, and there were other women who followed him, but God gave authority to those disciples to go out and do this, to go out and do that, and, and he didn't do it for any women. It's not that Jesus was saying, oh, I don't like women, I'm not, you know, whatever. I mean, some of his closest friends were Lazarus and Mary and Martha, right? He loved them. But that was not their role, and so he didn't ordain any of those. So there's no doubt that God gave the gifts of prophecy to women, but um, those, those gifts and, and other gifts, uh, but in particular prophecy, are limited and restricted in how they can be used. Let's look at this then for the second thing, letter B. The problem is that churches and religions are looking to sources other than the Bible for their guidance. Uh, it's obvious that God never intended women to leave, but they lead but they founded many false religions 
um, a lot of religious cults have been founded uh, that have spread religious confusion around the world by women. And I didn't put a list of all the examples in here, but Jezebel poisoned the nation of Israel with Baal worship. She was the one that introduced that, by the way. Ahab went along with it because he was not a man enough to lead his wife and because he went to the wrong place to get this woman. But Jezebel's the one who introduced Baal worship. And look how long they had to deal with Baal worship in Israel. How many times did a king come in and God had to say, go destroy the temples of Baal. Go tear down the altars of Baal, right? Um, but the cult of spiritualism was founded by the Fox sisters. Seventh-day Adventism was founded by the so-called prophetess Ellen White. Theosophy is another one that's just way out there. It was founded by Madame Elena Blavatsky. Christian science, which is, by the way, neither Christian nor scientific, was founded by Mary Baker Eddy. The four-square gospel movement was founded by Amy Semple McPherson, who lived a very questionable moral life and died a very tragic death. But a lot of these different ones, a lot of these false uh, cults that are very popular today and, and have led many people astray from the gospel were founded by women. Um, and, of course, there's plenty of men that have done the same thing. But, you know, um, religions are looking to other sources, uh, to sources other than the Bible for their guidance. Here's another one. E even fortune tellers and palm readers and those that are involved in the traffic of black arts. It's no accident. It's just another outgrowth of the rejection of God's plan for womanhood. There, uh, I'm not saying that there can't be a man who is a fortune teller or a palm reader or, you know, dealing in the black arts. But, uh, yeah, tell me one that is. You know, almost every one of these is a, is a woman. Um, and, and the only reason I point that out is just because it's a natural rejection of God's plan for womanhood. And they're moving away from what God intended for them to be. Number four, women are no less important to God and play no less of a role in the continuation of the church and the home. But God did not give the woman the place of authority. He gave her the place of submission. And I don't, I don't think I can make it any more clear than this when I say that that just because God has put men in this position and women in this position does not mean that women are less important to God or less important to a church. I cannot imagine what this church would look like if we didn't have any women in it. You know, we certainly wouldn't have any piano players. We certainly wouldn't have the music that we have. We certainly would, wouldn't have a nursery. I'm not, I'm not working in a nursery, I'll tell you that much. I'm not changing diapers. Uh, we certainly, you know, there's so many things that we would not have were it not for women working and serving in the church. But God gave the man the position of authority in the church and the woman the position of submission in the church, and that's just the way that it is. Letter E, in Jesus Christ, women enjoy the same spiritual position and blessings before God as men do, but this does not mean that there is to be no difference in men and women in their appearance, their roles, and their position in the church. And we've, we've discussed that. This is just kind of a conclusion, so I, I, you know, we'll leave it at that, but... Um, we are one before God, and a woman is not going to have any less of a place in the kingdom of God because she's not, you know, a man, but, but, that doesn't mean that there's not a difference between men and women, and it doesn't mean that we ought, we ought not to keep that distinction between men and women, and when you start blurring those roles, and when you start blurring those gender lines, then that's when you get into something that God never intended for it to be. Last thing is this, God's plan for women is beautifully spelled out in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 14. In fact, let's turn there at the end. We looked at what he said in Titus chapter 2 verse 3 through 5 for the way that women should be teachers at home and um, discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, sober, 
love their husbands, love their children, and so on. But he says this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, and give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That's the role of, of women. And, you know, I, I, I meet, um, I'm meeting now, I'm actually doing three weddings this fall. Um, and so I'm meeting fairly regularly with couples. And one of the things that I always tell them is that I think a man would be foolish not to take the advice of his wife, not to ask his wife's opinion, not to uh, ask her what she thinks about a decision that needs to be made. I think a man that doesn't do that is foolish. But God called the man to lead the home. And the way that those, those roles are laid out is that if a man doesn't lead his home and if a woman does not give that leadership role to the husband, then things in the home can never be right. And the same is true in a church. I think, you know, I, I think that, that if we don't allow women to be involved in the ministries, and I think if we don't, uh, you know, get the advice of women on, on what they think about how this ministry could be, you know, uh, better helped along, and, and all of those kind of things, we, we'd be foolish not to do those things, because women have value before God, in the church, in the home. I mean, and so I'm not trying to say at all that, that women are anything less than men, but God gave us those roles for a reason. I happen to be born a man. If you're a woman, you happen to be born a woman. That's the role that God gave you. So let's thrive in the roles that he gave us. Because you know what? If we stay in the roles that God gave us, then we're going to be the most blessed. We're going to be the most used. We're going to be the most successful. We're going to be the most profitable because we're doing it the way that God wanted us to do it. So these women that try to come in and take over as, you know, as the pastor of this church, God might bless it because it's his word that's being preached. But when they stand before God, they're not going to see any of the rewards from what they've done because they didn't strive lawfully like the Bible says. It's very clear. It's very clear that God's given roles to men and roles to women. And the way that the church works, the way that the church is successful is when we fulfill those roles that God's given us to fulfill. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the clarity of the word of God. I pray that you'd help us as we try to do everything that we can to um, live in accordance with the Bible, that you'd give us wisdom as we, as we uh, develop our doctrines, that you give us wisdom as we uh, confirm and stand in what we believe. And I pray that you'd help us to have the strength to stand up in not just this area, but so many others where the world is caving, where Christianity is caving, where people are just letting down their guard because they're tired of fighting or whatever other reason they do it. Pray that you would help us, not for the sake of pride, but for the sake of purity, to do what's right, to follow the word of God. Well, thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.